know what that sound means. It's another exciting installment of the Van Brawl Seasons Podcast, where we talk local sports, both the Atlanta Pro franchises, like the Braves, Hawks, Falcons, and we also talk the University of Georgia Bulldogs. So strap in, guys. It's another exciting episode about to start right now. What's up, podcast land? This Jam and Joe with the Fan for All Seasons podcast. And on this week's episode, we're previewing the 2023 University of Georgia Bulldog baseball season. And we've got a lot of hoops conversation, talking University of Georgia Bulldog basketball and the Atlanta Hawks with our guests of the week this week via the Fan for All Seasons fan line. But before we get into the baseball and basketball conversation, it's time to get a word from our sponsor. And Fan for All Seasons is brought to you in part by... Georgia Smoke Barbecue, authentic original oak smoked barbecue catering. You can learn more at georgiasmoke.com. And so guys, I want to get things started here. We're going to talk a little University of Georgia Bulldog baseball. So hope springs eternal, sports fans, as the Diamond Dogs begin another season at Foley Field under Georgia head baseball coach Scott Strickland. Hard to believe that Scott Strickland is in his 10th season in Athens. It's really hard to believe. Time is really whizzing by. And as far as the 2023 Georgia Bulldog baseball team, I'm going to talk a little bit about a few different guys that really stand out to me going into this season. Before I do that, I am going to mention we all know Georgia plays, you know, arguably the most brutal conference in all of college sports and SEC baseball is no different as Georgia will have several really good opponents visiting Athens. Preseason ranked number one LSU visits Athens. Tennessee visits Athens. South Carolina, Kentucky, they come to Athens. Georgia will play Tech once in Athens. Georgia will play Clemson. In Athens. So, Georgia's schedule is absolutely loaded for bear again. All these teams are really, really good, and it's going to be fun to see how things play out for Coach Strickland and the Georgia Bulldog baseball team against a really, really talented, arguably the best league in all of college baseball. Georgia will play the defending national champion Ole Miss Rebels. Georgia will travel to Ole Miss. I think their stadium is called Swayze Field, and the interesting thing about Ole Miss, guys, is when they hit a home run, they have beer showers out in right field where they douse fans with beer. So that's kind of an interesting little tidbit that you're going to get on the Fan for All Seasons podcast, talking all things SEC and Georgia baseball. So, like I said, it's time to talk about a few different guys on the Georgia Bulldog baseball team that have caught my eye, not only going into in my preseason research and all those kinds of things. So the first guy that really stands out to me is on the mound, Jaden Woods, the power lefty pitcher for Georgia. So Woods was in the bullpen a season ago, and this spring, or day, Jaden is switching over to the rotation. So what's interesting about that is he's making the move from the bullpen to the starting rotation. That's not always the easiest thing to do. I think a guy like Jaden Woods, who is arguably UGA's most talented arm, whether it be in the bullpen or in the rotation. So I think Woods is going to be just fine as far as making that transition. His record last year, he was 5-2 and two with a 4-7-0 ERA. I expect Woods to be Georgia's opening day starter coming up on February 18th. I'm expecting a big season out of Jaden Woods. 
and so much so that I cannot wait to watch this guy pitch. Like I said, it's going to be fascinating to see him make the transition from the bullpen to the starting rotation. Also, Alex Anthopoulos, if you get a chance to tune into this podcast or if you get a chance to watch Jaden Woods pitch, selfishly, I know me and a bunch of Georgia fans on there would love to see Jaden Woods don the A when his Bulldog baseball career is over. I think Jaden Woods is going to be a really talented kid at the next level, and I would love to see the Braves get him. So like I said, I really think Jaden Woods is going to be Georgia's ace. He's going to be Georgia's guy, their Friday night guy in the SEC. Every thing about college baseball is everybody has to have a Friday night guy in the SEC, and I expect Jaden to be that guy for the University of Georgia. Now we're going to jump over to some position players that stand out to me. First position player I want to highlight at the plate for Georgia was Georgia's overall best hitter from a year ago. This was Connor Tate. He patrolled left field for the dog, and he's back for one last one last ride. Tate led UGA with a 345 average, 13 home runs, and 19 doubles, along with 58 RBIs. Tate dismantled. SEC pitching last year for Georgia, and I expect him to have another fantastic year. Not to mention, he is a solid glove in left field for the bolt. The reason why Connor Tate is back is he is one of he is one of the ones that was allowed an extra year due to COVID. He had one extra year of eligibility, so he took it. And I think the fact that he's coming back is a huge boost for the University of Georgia. And I'm excited to see what Tate does against SEC pitching for this upcoming spring and being the catalyst for the Georgia Bulldog offense. A couple other Bulldogs that I want to talk about that are that are in the field and for the 2023 Georgia Bulldogs. Now we're going to go over to center field. Georgia's Georgia's really solid. Mr. Do Everything, patrol a great center field, and have a good glove. Ben Anderson is back. He, he's back patrolling center field for Georgia. Like I said, Anderson has fabulous speed. He stole eight of nine bags for the dogs. He was Georgia's leader in stolen bases. And just, just getting his leadership back this year is huge for Scott Strickland. It's, it's really, really big for the dogs. Like I said, Ben Anderson's a fabulous athlete. He'll make great catch after great catch in center field. He has a great arm. And when he's up at the plate, Ben Anderson is a guy who's going to get on base, spark things, make things happen for this Georgia Bulldog offense. Because if you have a really fast guy like Ben Anderson on the bases, then that gives guys like that gives guys like Connor Tate and the next guy we're gonna talk about, junior catcher Fernando Gonzalez. He's a guy that I feel like has gotten better every year offensively. Gonzo last year batted 258, four home runs, 22 RBIs. Gonzo continued to make strides his sophomore year not only offensively, but defensively. And I just think catcher is one of those positions that if you have a returning catcher coming back, that is huge. And I think Gonzalez is due for a big junior year for the Georgia Bulldogs. In, in games that I went to last year, I felt like Fernando did a really good job of blocking the plate, holding his own with and keeping Georgia's pitchers in good rhythm and good sync. And I just feel like catcher, catcher is one of those really, really important positions in baseball. And if you have a returning guy back, that is really, really big for your team. And I think Gonzalez is going to provide a boost offensively. I expect his power numbers to go up, and I expect him to be able to drive in more runs for Georgia this upcoming spring. So now we're going to go over to a couple guys on the infield, and one of those is Parks Harper, Georgia's first baseman. The junior out of Atlanta, he's back. I thought he did a really good job for the dog this last spring. He batted 307, 
13 homers, and 53 RBI. Having Parks, his big bat in the middle of the lineup, is going to provide major protection for Connor Tate and give Georgia some much needed thump in the middle of the order. Parks Harbor, when he first got to Georgia, his freshman year, he was playing hurt. I believe he was dealing with a sore wrist. He was never all the way 100% his freshman year. Well, his sophomore year, this past spring, he was fully healthy, and he really hit the cover off the ball, had some big home runs for Georgia, and I think has found a natural position over at first. He's a really athletic kid. I mean, he could, he could honestly make the move back to third base if they wanted him to. By my indications, everything I hear, it sounds like he's going to be over at first base again. For the dogs, like I said, big right-handed stick is going to be able to provide a lot of protection and thump in the middle of that UGA order. The last guy from the Georgia Bulldog baseball team that I want to talk about, and this is UGA DH and backup catcher Corey Collins. Collins, along with Parks Harbor, is going to provide some serious thump for Georgia from the left side in the plate. Collins smashed 11 home runs and 37 RBIs for UGA. He should be a really, he should be really, really solid behind the plate. Being able to spell Fernando Gonzalez and him and Gonzalez can rotate between catcher and DH. Really good about Corey Collins going into his junior year and providing Georgia some much needed thump from the left side of the plate. So these are just a few guys that I wanted to highlight as we get ready for Georgia Bulldog baseball. I'm really excited about the new season. I think Coach Strickland's got a really, really nice team and I look for there to be good crowds at Foley Field this spring as the Georgia Bulldogs are looking to get back to the NCAA tournament like they did a season ago. Georgia opens up the 2023 season February 18th at 3 o'clock against the Gamecocks of Jacksonville State. And so that's going to wrap it up for our Georgia Bulldog baseball preview as we transition over to some basketball, both Atlanta Hawks and the University of Georgia. Guest of the week via the Fan for All Seasons fan line here in one second. And Fan for All Season fans, we're back. Connected to Guest of the Week this week via the Fan for All Seasons fan line. And he's been on this podcast before. He is a current student at the University of Georgia. And our friendship kind of began. We just started following each other on Twitter. And like, he had really good insight with UGA basketball. And I gotta get this dude on the show. And so, you guys have probably heard this guy a bunch. If you're a diehard Fan for All Seasons fan, listener. And then he's our good friend, Brent Wilson, connecting with us via the Fan for All Seasons fan line this week. Brent, how's it going, buddy? Going pretty good, uh, Looking, looking forward to uh, talk hoops today. Great, man, great. Well, let's get the hoops convo started at University of Georgia, where you're currently at and where I graduated from. And so so let's talk some dog. And so, Brent, my first topic with you is this. I realize Georgia has lost three in a row, but what has stood out to you about this team under first-year head coach, Mike White? Yeah, so first first look at, I mean, obviously, you know, anybody that, that paid attention last year knows that we are, levels ahead of where we came so last year six and 26 um believe it was the worst you know sec record in, in history so when mike white stepped in here he's inheriting probably uh the lowest of lows probably you know bad of, of shape as you can have a have a group or a power six program and he comes in he he revamps the roster and now we're sitting here with 14 wins uh with you know, still think we have six, six or seven games left in the season. And, and, and you know, I think some people have, have set expectations a little high this first year. But re- realistically, we, we've kind of already exceeded what we wanted to do. I think most of the media has pro- projected, you know, anywhere from finishing 12th, 13th, or, or dead last in the SEC. 
And right now we're we're on the cusp of getting a first round bye in the S tournament, something that we haven't had in a couple of years. But, but I've been very with with how far from where we were last year to to the point we're at this year. I, I completely agree with you, Brent. I think I think the expectation from some of the fan base, whether it be on Twitter or any of those other social media outlets, is unrealistically high. And I'm like, guys, you don't understand where we've been. And it, the same people that make these kind of remarks are the people that haven't really paid attention to Georgia basketball in the past like maybe four years since since Crane was here it got really rough last year and so I like you have been extremely extremely happy with where we are with Mike White and I just I just think the sky is the limit for what he can do and absolutely and I I just one of those people like whenever he talks I listen I listen to his call-in show on Monday nights and he just gives really good energy seems like he really really is excited to be here in Athens and I'm, I'm just haven't felt this excited about Georgia basketball in a while I really have and I and you know this is something you and I texted about yesterday. I think the fact that that White has the background in the SEC, not only coaching in the league but playing in the league, helps him. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I that experience is is something you you really can't put a price tag on. And the other thing I want to mention too is it, it's really hard to to take a take a program first year or first year out at a new program and come in and uh, compete. It makes it even harder when you only return five players from last year's roster. Kind of have to build around that. Uh, so when you have a lot of guys that come in playing for the first time versus some of these other programs, uh, look at Tennessee, Auburn, they, you know, they return a lot. Uh, same with Kentucky. They returned a, a lot of talent from last year. Uh, that's something we didn't really have. So I, I've been really impressed that he was able to go out, find some talented players, and, and has been able to, to, to compete pretty well. And I think that you, you can attribute that to his SEC experience being at Florida he knows what it takes to compete in this league I mean he's going to put that and execute that here at Georgia absolutely so Brent the next topic we're talking UGA basketball with you is this. So Braylon Bridges, one of the guys that stayed from the previous regime, has rejoined the starting lineup for the Dogs. He had a career-high 26 points on Tuesday against Ole Miss. And so what stood out to you watching Braylon last? Yeah, um, like you just mentioned, career-high. Um, Braylon was playing out of his mind. And, and I think most the most thing, or the, the thing you can attribute to that is he looked a lot more confident. Um, since SEC play has started, we've kind of seen him panic a little bit. Maybe he gets the ball in a bad position, doesn't really know what to do and he kind of panicked last night that was not that was not the case we, we all know that he's got a very talented left hand to finish very well with his left pretty good with his right hand as well last night he was he was not hesitating just going straight out and, and put the ball in the basket and that's that's what george is going to need him to do um down the stretch totally agree with you i know this is another it, this is another topic you and I have talked about in the past, and is the big rotation of Frank Anselm, Frank Anselm and Braylon Bridges, and I really like the fact that Braylon Bridges is back in the starting lineup. I think Frank does a good job coming off the bench to kind of spell Braylon, kind of give Georgia that extra size in the second unit, and I think the rest of the year, I think we should see Braylon in the starting lineup, just strictly because Braylon is such a weapon offensively for Georgia, and I know Georgia has had issues with putting the ball in the basket recently, and I feel like Bridges is that guy. Another thing that stands out to me about Bridges is this, Brent, is he's a pretty solid free throw shooter. I want to say he's like shooting 79 to 80%. Yeah, he's, he, he's 
done very well at the free throw line, which is uh, something not a lot of big, not just in the SEC, but across college basketball. Uh, that's that's not something, not a skill that, that every big has. Absolutely agree. So, Brent, we're going to keep talking Georgia Bulldog basketball. We're going to jump to the backcourt and talk, talk about some guards for Georgia. Justin Hill has filled in admirably for an injured Terry Roberts. What have you liked about Justin Hill since he joined the starting lineup? Yeah, so Justin Hill came in from Longwood last year or a, a bigger role last year so I think um I think one thing that's been tough for him has been adjusting to a new role uh, there's there's definitely a huge difference when you go from you know being the starting point guard or, or playing a lot of minutes for for one school and then you jump into a com- completely new role where you're uh re- reserved coming off the bench that that takes some time to adjust to but with with Terry going down Justin's had to step into a bigger role and last night we saw what we know Justin Hill can do uh, and since we since he committed here um he looked very confident he was attacking the bass uh he's he's very quick very shifty so when he changes directions that's it's it's very hard to defend and he he took advantage of that last night and the other thing he was doing very well too was distributing the, the ball very well he had seven assists to go along with his 13 points um and just one turnover so you cannot complain with a a seven to one assist to turnover ratio absolutely not absolutely not and i'll tell you this what stood out to me watching the game last night about justin hill is his ability to finish after contact to to be the size that he is he he has really good strength and balance and i think having a guard that can finish with some contact on you is is a really nice tool to have and justin hill's definitely got that absolutely and so brent we're gonna keep talking some uga basketball here and this news came out yesterday tuesday afternoon it was announced that uga is moving the student section stedman coliseum to be lower and closer to the court as a current student at uga how excited are you about this i think that's very exciting i think one thing um that segment or, or just our basketball program has lacked the last couple of years is the student section presence and not not i mean some of that attributes to attendance when you're not winning students aren't going to show up this year we have seen students show up and, and at times it's gotten pretty pretty loud but i think that, that that's a very good move by bringing the student closer more centered to the game i think that that can change the game a lot of people don't don't value how big fan presence and student presence can make a home environment more hostile. And I know I know one thing Mike White made made clear when when he interviewed for for the job was you know obviously being an opposing coach on an opposing team in Stegman. He mentioned that Stegman was a comfortable place for opposing teams to play, and that's not something you want our opponents to feel. So by moving the student section, I think that. That's going to bring a lot of value to our program, and I think that it's going to make Stegman a way tougher place to play in next year as in the past. I completely agree with you about that. Now, I think about back when I was in school and the student section, we we were in that same corner where the current students are, and I used to sit in the very top row of the student section so I could, like, look out and see everything and see plays develop. I I did really enjoy that view, but I think about going into next season, what that's going to look like, having the students lower to the court. I I bet college me would have loved being that close to making Steg a crazy and as loud as we can make it and i and I've, I've been really impressed with the turnout from the student vibe like on campus like around you and your friends like i, I mean obviously you're obviously you're a big big supporter of georgia basketball amongst your friends students you know yeah so obviously you just mentioned i'm i'm, I'm very passionate about our program and obviously i, I kind of encourage my friends to to come out the games but as, as the season's gone on you know i 
a lot of my friends have, have been, you know, they've been going to the games, they, they've been wanting to go to the games, and they feel like they miss out, you know, if they if they don't go to it. Um, so I think a, a lot of students are starting to become more excited about our program, and, and I think that'll continue as as our success continues to, to build and improve as well. I absolutely agree with you because Brent, something you and I can both agree on, the lifeblood of college athletics is the student section, whether it be football, basketball, baseball, any any sport, the lifeblood of a great fan base is its student, no doubt about it. So Brent, the final topic we're going to talk as far as some Georgia basketball is this, my friend. So Georgia has two more home games on this three-game homestand, Kentucky and LSU, Kentucky on Saturday, the 11th, and LSU on Valentine's Day. And that's an 8.30 tip-off. And so how do you feel about the dogs in these two upcoming matchups? So obviously with Kentucky this Saturday, there's going to be a lot of hype, a lot of energy leading up to it and inside the stadium, especially given how close we played Kentucky when we went to Rupp Arena a couple weeks ago and played them pretty competitively. I think if we can get a similar performance emphasize our, our rebounding this time. We, we let Oscar Sheboy do way too much in the paint. Um, that can't happen again if we want if we want to come out with a win Saturday. Uh, but I do think it'll be a, a different game, given that, that now it's going to Georgia having the the home court advantage. And then with LSU next week, it's a weekday game, so we, we might not have crowd and energy level that you know, we're going to get on Saturday. However, LSU's kind of in the same position we are. For a first-year head coach, they, they had to revamp their entire roster. So they're, they're kind of in a similar boat that we are this year. And I, I think it'll be a pretty pretty competitive game, though. And, and I like our, our chances to, to, to come out with a win as well. Definitely, man. Well, I can say this. The Kentucky game is going to be insane as, as far as the vibe and atmosphere from the students and the alumni. I will be out of town this weekend. I'll be watching the game on my phone or in my hotel room, whatever, whatever I do. I have made sure that Georgia-Kentucky is appointment TV at noon, so I'll be checking that out on Saturday. And then LSU, I'll be checking it out on TV as well. Hopefully, the dogs can bounce back, get get this three-game losing skid out of our mouths. And really, really finish Mike White's first season really strong for the Georgia Bulldogs. So now, Brent, we're going to keep the basketball talk going. We're going to talk about another team that you and I are both very passionate about, and it is our Atlanta Hawks. And so, Brent, the first topic with the Hawks is this: so the Hawks, so the Hawks finished up this long Western road trip against an improving New Orleans Pelicans team. So, what were your overall thoughts on this road trip for the Hawks? Yeah, so anytime you go on the road for a long stretch, this time it, it was five games, kind of just hoping to make it out alive. So I thought it was very impressive that we were able to grab two wins, one being you know, a 30-point win over the Suns, and, and the other being o- over the Jazz, which is the Jazz are a competitor in their conference. And so I think that those were two big wins. Obviously, you know, losing to the Nuggets tonight after, it's, it's tough to, to travel and, and play a back-to-back and and get back-to-back wins. And then the other one, oh, we, we played the Trailblazers uh, before those two wins, and that came down to the wire. But I, I was glad we, we showed we showed some competitive spirits. It's it's very tough to win on the road. It's it's even tougher when you're on a road stretch for five games. So I, I was very content that, you know, we, we were able to grab two wins, especially, I think you mentioned earlier, we have a, a large amount of home games left on the schedule. Uh, compared to on the road so 
I'll take two out of five in that stretch. That's fine. And, and let's start looking forward to this uh, upcoming home stretch. Totally agree with you about that. I, I guess I guess of the road games we lost, I really thought we were going to get that Portland game. And especially since the next guy we're going to talk about went off. DeJounte Murray had 40 points that game, a career high. And you're absolutely correct. Of the Hawks remaining 27 games, 17 of the 27 are at home. So that's really big. If they're if they're gonna dig themselves out of this out of this play-in tournament, which I don't know what your thoughts are, but I can't. But I cannot stay in the play-in tournament. I think it's goofy. I know the, what the NBA is trying to do. I'm just not a big fan of it, and I don't want the Hawks to be in it again because it's just gonna give me so much anxiety. And so, Brent, you good, man? Now, Brent, we're going to talk some DeJounte Murray. And so, like I said, my spiel there, DeJounte Murray had a career-high 40 points on the Western Road Trip. Overall, he's been playing really good basketball of late. And so, how how impressed have you been with DeJounte Murray in year one with the Hawks? I've been very impressed with DeJounte. I think he compliments Trey Young very well. I think coming into the season, everyone was kind of cautiously optimistic, I don't think. People wanted to see him come in and, and overtake Trey or, or, you know, maybe downplay how, how good or how talented of a player Trey Young is. But they've worked very well together, and I've been very impressed with how DeJounte carried himself. Obviously, he's a crazy kind of player, very young, a lot of potential, and he's, he's, he's he hasn't really hit the peak of his career yet either. So I, I, I'm very confident in DeJounte moving forward. I, I, you can see the chemistry starting to build. So I'm very excited about having DeJounte on, on, in our organization for years to come. Completely agree with you. And the thing that stands out to me about Murray that I love so much is Murray loves to play defense. Is and he and Murray wants to guard the other team's best guy. You know whether it be one, two, or three. Like DeJounte has no fear. Like he is all about playing defense and creating transition offense for himself and mid mid range. His print. You could argue. His mid-range jump shot, maybe along with DeMar DeRozan's, is is without a doubt one of the best in the NBA. Absolutely. So, we're going to keep talking about some Atlanta Hawks players here. So, the next guy we're going to talk about is Trey Young. So, Trey Young, stat-wise, has been struggling, especially from three-point land. While he's averaging 27 points per game and nine assists per game. So, what do you see as the biggest issue with Trey Young's three-point shooting? So, when when you're talking about a talented three-point shooter, especially the caliber of Trey Young, um, it's usually not a, not a shooting mechanic issue. And, and the other two things you can look at are confidence, but I, I don't... I don't think Trey lacks confidence, you know, no matter how he performs. Uh, so I can't attribute that. And the other thing I would look at, too, would be we played more road games than we have home games up to this point. I think we played 28 games on the road and 20 at home. And so the other, the other thing I would look at is maybe on the road is his depth perception. You know, altered playing in a in an arena that you know you don't play in every night. Um, but looking at his stats, he's actually shooting a higher three point percentage on the road than he is at home. And so the thing that I think may be affecting his three point percentage, it could be you know with the role of Dejounte maybe bringing the ball up and Trey playing off ball. That that could be something that he's adjusting to maybe taking more shots, coming off screens, catch and shoot uh, versus where we've seen in the past, you know, he's bringing the ball up the court and, and shooting off the dribble, creating his own shot. So that that's something that he can, he, he's going to adjust with and that, that comes with time. Just kind of altering up his, his role a little bit is not 
He's not he's not going to be the, the primary handler every single possession. But the other thing is, I don't think it really matters that much because his points per game hasn't really been affected that much. He said he's averaging 27 points per game. And, and, and he's also, you know, not limited to just his three-point shooting you know he can he can create his own shots he can get to the paint float float one up there um and he's also been distributing very well um so the, the other thing too is you know maybe his shots aren't falling and he he doesn't he doesn't get down on himself and, and continues to distribute the ball you mentioned he's nine assists per game i think he's he ranked third in the nba in assists per game so trace playing very impressive and i i wouldn't I wouldn't get too too scared about you know his three point percentage coming down. I think that's something that's just gonna gonna come with over time as he gets used to to playing with Dejounte. Agree with, with you about that. It's got to be different for Trey having to be off the ball more probably than he's ever been in his entire basketball career. And then the Hawks bring in a really talented guard like Murray, who's got really good handles like Trey as well. I thought you brought up some really good points as far as Trey be, being able to get his own shot. I mean, that that's something he's been able to do his entire career in Atlanta, even going back to his days at Oklahoma. Another thing that really stands out to me about Trey that I really like here recently is his ability to set up his teammates. As as I mentioned in the topic, he he's averaging nine assists per game. And I feel like I feel like when Trey is playing in the flow of the offense and looking to get his teammates involved and not necessarily like looking for a shot, I I feel like that's when Trey is at his best. But when he's like looking to shoot, when he, when he's like, okay, I'm just gonna bring the ball up the court really quick and jack one. I think that's, I think that's what has Hawk fans frustrated. If Trey continues to just play within the flow of the offense, and make good decisions with the ball in his hand, and then when he's off the ball, look for a shot. I, I feel good about where where the Hawks shooting can go, especially down the stretch. And so, Brent, the last player we're gonna talk about in our Atlanta Hawks conversation is one DeAndre Hunter. So DeAndre Hunter continues to be up and down for the Hawks. And so in your opinion, what should the Hawks ultimately do with DeAndre Hunter? Yeah, so personally, I'm a I'm a big DeAndre Hunter fan. Like you mentioned, yeah, he's he's been up and down. Last night he was 0 for 9 shooting, just three points. All of those coming from the free throw line. Um, but I think DeAndre Hunter is still a very confident player. I think, uh, you know, just before his... He had a bad performance last night, but uh, I think games before that, you know, he's, he's putting up 20-plus, whether it's 25 and 26, I think, back-to-back, back to the last two games before that. I, I really like DeAndre Hunter, and I think the Hawks are committed to him uh, with that contract, that recent contract extension. I think the Hawks need to, to hold on to DeAndre Hunter. He's still a very young player, a lot of potential. He hasn't hit a stride yet. And one thing one thing I wanted to mention, too, is kind of just where I see the Hawks holding on to these assets. One thing we've seen the, the last few seasons is the Celtics have accumulated talent. They've held on to their assets. They've continued to develop them. Um, and now here, as, as these asset players start to hit the strides of their career, here they are as you know, arguably the best team in the NBA right now. Um, so I think the Hawks should, should hold on to DeAndre Hunter and hold on to these other assets they've got too. You know, we've got a lot of young players, Okongwu, Jalen Johnson, A.J. Griffin. A lot of players to be excited about. And you look at the Celtics roster, you know, they've got seven, eight, seven or eight players that are capable of starting on NBA rosters. Um, and the Hawks are so young, it, it's really hard to, to give up on these assets or, or, you know, do something else with these players. So I think the best thing 
for the Hawks right now is, is to stay and put with DeAndre Hunter, continue to let him develop, continue to let these other guys develop, and, and see where we're at, you know, a couple seasons down the road. I gotcha. So, Brent, I gotta be totally honest, and I'm sure you've seen from my Twitter feed, I have been very critical of DeAndre Hunter, and I make no bones about it, and I've been, I've even said it on pods, and here recently and he's just so inconsistent i know he's still trying to find his way a little bit but i mean brent here's something to think about he was the fourth pick in the draft and he he was supposed to be this like great defensive guy savage on d and then offensively he's so up and down i feel like he's always got something up with him whether it be like asthma or like getting hit in the face or whatever i just i hope that he can click and that he can be a player that the Hawks want him to be. And I don't know. I just scratched my head with DeAndre Hunter. And I'm just wondering if not now, when? You know what I mean? Right. Well, the other the other thing I want to mention with you, too, is, is that A.J. Griffin continues to develop. And he'll, he'll definitely play himself into a larger role. That's going to put some pressure on DeAndre Hunter. Um, you know, to either be more consistent or ultimately, uh, you know, the Hawks couldn't, could end up dealing him, you know, down the road if he isn't able to, to improve just because of how big of an asset A.J. Griffin is to this team. Um, and, and so as, as A.J. Griffin continues to develop, I think that's going to, that's going to pressure DeAndre Hunter to, uh, to, you know, to be more consistent and be more efficient. I absolutely agree with you about A.J. Griffin. Now, A.J. Griffin has been must-see TV. He has really come on like a house of fire. He's confident with his three-point shot, and not not only with his three, but his ability to to, to attack the paint. He, he plays solid defense. I I'm, I'm love, I love the makeup of A.J. Griffin. Dad is an assistant coach in the league with Toronto, and, and so you know A.J. Griffin has been around basketball for a long time, and then going back to the one-year Duke, I, I've, I've been so impressed with A.J. Griffin. I think the sky is the limit for him. And I think you're spot on with that, Brent. I think A.J. Griffin is going to put some pressure on the Hawks and put pressure on DeAndre Hunter to be like, if I don't step up here soon, that Mr. Griffin could be coming for my minutes too. Absolutely. Honestly, Brent, I think that's my biggest frustration with, with the Hawks here recently, especially Nate McMillan. I don't understand. Like, A.J. Griffin will come out on fire and then... Like late in the game when the Hawks need a big shot or somebody to make a play, McMillan continues to leave Griffin on the bench and play Hunter. And I'm just like, why? I don't understand it. Like, <laughs> dude, so what do you think about that? Am, am I crazy here or do you have those same thoughts? No, I I, I definitely see your side on that. It, it, it's, it's frustrating too, especially you spend in shots, you shooting a high field goal percentage. I think really, as a coach, you got to go game by game. You, you can't really play the you know the long term game. Quick decision when when you need your best shooters on the court, you need the guys that are performing well on that specific night. So if if AJ Griffin is is on that night, he needs to be in the game. I absolutely agree with you. And Nate McMillan does not do that. I, d I do want to hit you with a follow-up question before we get into some NBA trade deadline discussion, Brent. And it's about Nate McMillan. I, I mean, we all expect Nate to be gone at the end of this year. But are you surprised the Hawks haven't made that move and stripped Nate of his coaching duties already? I, I think the the main reason they're, they're kind of, or they've kind of held back on that this year is because the Hawks, have a chance at, at making the, or have a really good shot at making the playoffs. Uh, hopefully, 
hopefully we're in a guaranteed spot versus playing in the play-in tournament. And, and the, the reason I think they haven't pulled the trigger on that is it, for that reason. I think that you don't want to, to shake up anything um, right in the middle of the season. Now let's say we, you know, we end up playing game spot and maybe don't go as far in the playoffs as we'd like to or expect to, then I, I can 100% see a move coming this offseason. And, and so when you watch the Hawks, Brent, are, are you as frustrated with me as Nate McMillan? He, he drives Absolutely. me nuts. He drives me nuts, bro. He drives me nuts. So anyway, <laughs> I, ju- I just wanted to get your quick thoughts on Nate McMillan really quick. So Brent, our final topic, my friend, is this. And it's about the NBA trade deadline. The NBA trade deadline is Thursday at 3 o'clock p.m. Ultimately, Brent, do you see the Hawks making a move or standing pat? I, I think I think the Hawks are going to make a move. You know, I think I talked to you a couple days about potential of Kevin Durant trade. That's not going to happen this deadline. I don't see any major deals coming. But I, I definitely think the Hawks make a move. Uh, on adding another rotational player, uh, possibly two. One move I'd like to see would be to grab a backup point guard. Obviously, we've kind of seen Aaron Holiday's uh, minutes decline recently. I would love to to maybe buy low on a backup point guard. One one guy that I've seen mentioned um, or, or that other fans have kind of thrown out there is Killian Hayes. I, I really like Killian Hayes. He's a, he's a young player. And with the Pistons kind of shifting their focus towards Cade Cunningham and Jay Nivey for the future, I can see the price being kind of low on Killian Hayes, even though he's a very young player with a lot of potential. I think he'd be a very good fit, especially defensively. Um, and another guy I've seen mentioned with Matisse Teibel. I, I like that move too. I know the Sixers don't really have him in the rotation right now. But he offers a lot of defensive presence on on the perimeter, and, and he can also defend in the paint as well. And obviously with him not being in the 76ers rotation right now, his price is probably pretty low. I think he could take maybe a second-round pick. So I think his, his price tag is pretty low. He might be one of those – he's still a young player, a lot of potential too. He might be one of those guys that just needs a change of scenery and just needs a chance. So I, I'm completely comfortable with the Hawks making – a, a buy low trade at, at the deadline and hopefully maybe bolster our rotation as we as we get ready to make a playoff run definitely Brent and I, I hadn't thought about that but you bring a backup point guard and that that is a spot where I feel like the Hawks don't really have a guy I know Murray's usually out there with the second unit but this way, this could give Murray a chance to kind of catch more of his breath instead of having to play, you know, with the second unit and the first unit. I feel like that could take pressure off of him and Trey for that matter. And and I, I do like that call of Killian Hayes. I hadn't thought about that. that, that I got to give you props, man. That, that is a good pull on your part. And Matisse Thibault would be solid too. And so let's just say the Hawks did make one of those two moves. And so what do you see the Hawks giving up if they did make a move for either a Killian Hayes or a Matisse Thibel? So what do I think they give up? Yes. I would probably say I could see, I don't see us moving any of our big time assets. I think John Collins stays put. I don't think um, we need to move him just yet. Um, I think he could take a second round pick on either of those players, maybe another rotational player. Uh, maybe you throw one of the Holiday brothers in there. So I think a, a rotational piece, probably an expiring contract, plus a second-round pick would be enough to get either of those guys. Or heck, you know what? You know what I would do if I'm the Hawks? I'd be willing to say it's two for one Holiday trade day. You get both Holidays because neither one of them have really been that good. I know 
wrestler was all excited about getting the family back together. And I mean, that that is cool playing with your brother. But if neither Holiday's really getting it done, and they're just kind of DNP or pl- playing very few minutes like they are, I'm I'm okay with shipping the Holidays out. They've they've kind of been a disappointment. And on, honestly, Brent, I do want to talk about one last thing before you go. And to be honest with you, I'm still kind of puzzled why why the Hawks got rid of Kevin Herter. I know it was a salary dump, and I know wrestler doesn't want to go over the luxury tax. But then you hear like Steve Coonan doing radio interviews, and Coonan's like, "Oh, I could see Tony going over the luxury tax, but it has to be for the right reason." I thought Herter was a solid piece, and I was disappointed to see him go. What say you? Yeah, I was I was definitely uh, very disappointed to see him go as well. Um, especially because we didn't get that much of a, of a return on him, in my opinion. And, and, and he's, he's been doing very well in Sacramento. Um, and right now we could use him. I mean, I know he's, he's not a primary ball, ball, but he would offer a lot of valuable minutes off the bench, even if it was a different role than he's used to being, to being in. But as, as far as Kevin Herter, I'm, I'm very excited that, you know, he's gotten, kind of a bigger role in Sacramento that he's doing very well. Brent, always enjoy your insight and perspective talking Atlanta Hawks and University of Georgia Bulldogs. We'll have you on the pod again soon, my friend. Go dogs. Yes, sir. Go dogs. So that was a really good interview we did with our man Brent Wilson talking all things Atlanta Hawks and University of Georgia Bulldog basketball as well. Always enjoy Brent's insight and perspective. So now, guys, I want to tell you about FanForAllSeasons.com. It's our website where you can go, where you can check out all our merchandise. At the merchandise store, going to the Shop Merch tab. You can check out our Comfy Colors t-shirts, sweatshirts, and hoodies, and you can get those in a variety of color in gray, cardinal, and what I like to call classic red. So check that out at the Fan for All Seasons merchandise store. Guys, if you like this podcast, if you want to know more about us, you can like and subscribe any major podcast platform. Find us at Fan for All Seasons. And yeah, so give us a like, give us a follow. We're on any major podcast platform. That's where you guys can find us. And so now, guys, it's time to get one last word from our sponsor. And Fan for All Seasons is brought to you in part by Georgia Smoke Barbecue, authentic original smoked barbecue catering. You can learn more at georgiasmoke.com. So for my guy, Brent Wilson, this has been Jam and Joe, and this has been another exciting installment of the Fan for All Seasons podcast. We'll talk to you guys next week. See ya. Go dogs and go hogs.